Welcome to Cup the Bull, an insightful podcast which addresses the news of the day and the cultural issues plaguing our society. Bringing logic and context to these topics and discussing solutions too real for mainstream pundits. Now, here are your hosts, Charles Love, Shamika Michelle, and Wilfred Riley. Hello and welcome to Cut the Bull. I am Charles Love, alongside my co-hosts, Shamika Michelle and Wilfred Riley. And our guest this week is Dave Smith, comic Dave Smith. He's a comedian, political commentator, uh, host of the Part of the Problem podcast. You've seen him in all the big ones on Fox News, on Joe Rogan, uh, Tim Pool, everyone else. And Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. We want to cover as much as we can. Obviously, we want to talk about the madness that we are dealing with in the culture, in the country, the problems. Maybe you can fix it from a libertarian standpoint, give us some unique uh, outside of the box solutions. But I want to start off with libertarianism. I know that there's been one uh, bit of a change in the party, a shift. But also, this seems like the prime picking, the perfect time for people to move over to the Libertarian Party. They've had some issues in the past. So here's a chance for the leading guy, one of the three guys everybody says, if you want to learn about Libertarianism, who do you talk to? Dave is here to explain why Libertarianism is is the better solution to what the Democrats and Republicans are offering. Well, who are the other two guys? Well, I get, you know, it depends on who you say. I get Mark, who, you know, who connected me to you, I, and Pete. I get... Uh, um, Alan Borsinka. Oh, really? I get I get a lot of um, uh, Michael Malice, and I get... Uh, who else do I get? Uh, who else do we get? Um, who do you get, uh, Will, when you think of uh, leading voices in libertarianism? Um, I mean, I kind of think of that naked guy at the convention a couple of years see? ago. See, see, no, really, no, you see what he's doing to you, Dave? That is not our right best the, representative. Right in the back. I was thinking, thinking like though, Ron Paul maybe would be. But I think uh, when I think of libertarians, yeah, I mean, obviously the OG is Ron Paul. I mean, Rand's father, the guy who's suggested axing off good chunks of the U.S. government, which is you know an appealing pitch from a politician. Right. Once recommended bringing back letters of Mark um, so you could go out privateering if you wanted to. That was almost enough to make me vote for him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's obviously one of the one of the OG libertarians. I can't really think of too many other real libertarians other than some of the party's candidates. I've talked with Jorgensen before online. Right, so right, right. A lot of people are semi libertarian. They rarely stop go it. Full stop it. Ron Paul, and I can't think of any others, is an excellent answer. Well, see, I was going to say, but the That's... problem with Ron Paul is Ron Paul is the real deal, but it's Ron Paul. Man. He's older. You're not expecting him to carry you to the next right. level. So when I say it, I'm like, who are the guys who, because we've seen, we all went there already, the the kind of farcical uh, kind of crazy antics that people think of when you think of libertarian. So you're asking kind of who's the Joshua to Ron Paul's Moses sort of, who's the next one? But I'm being serious. Who's the next right. candidate? It's a good right. question. I think well, it's Dave Smith. What- well, that's what we're trying to do, you know, and it's kind of like carry on that legacy. And you're right. I mean, look, there's there's definitely some goofy libertarians who you could invoke. And but, you know, to be fair, I think that is probably true for like all political philosophies, you know, like if you want to take, you know, progressives or conservatives, there's always going to be some really bad examples of that that you can invoke. But that's what I try to do as best I can. And the, the people in my camp, like uh, just a, but 
put some names out there like Michael Heiss, Scott Horton, Tom Woods, uh, Michael Malice, Eric July, Maj Ture, those guys. I, I see us as kind of like trying to carry on that Ron Paul legacy, which to me is what libertarianism is supposed to be, which is the, the most beautiful political philosophy, just the idea that humans ought to be free and that they ought to own themselves. They have the right to own property. They, they have uh, the right to do whatever they want as long as they don't initiate violence against peaceful people. And that that is the ultimate political ideal. Not to say we'll ever get there and be in a perfect society, but that we should always be striving for that. That's that to me is the whole deal. Right. That's the key. You should be working toward it now. Um, and, and I think that's important. I think the part of the problem is there are a couple issues here. And one is, like you said, you mentioned those people. I kind of pay attention and I only knew half of them. There might have been you know, three or four of them. So, how, you know, you got to get the message out there, which is part of the problem. And then people just don't really understand. They don't that their attention spans are so short, right? They got all these clips that they're watching. So a lot of what I hear when you ask regular people who aren't calling themselves libertarians, like, you know, what do you think of libertarianism? What's a libertarian? They're like, well, you know, they always, and I know it probably burns, link you to conservatives. They're like, oh, they're just the conservatives that mad about this one or two issues. They're pretty much the same. So, and I don't believe that. So I'm sure you've heard that. So what do you say to those people who try to say, well, you're just a different version of some, you know, conservative or GOP uh, person? Well, I mean, yeah, I've definitely heard that before. It probably doesn't burn as much as when people link us to a guy stripping on stage or something like that. So it, it could... It could be worse than just your conservatives. I, I, you know, they say conservatives who like to smoke pot or something right. like that. Um, but I don't know. I think, you know, what you mentioned there is like, yeah, that's our job. We do have our work cut out for us. And our job is to kind of like try to, to introduce these ideas to as many people as possible and to get mm -hmm. them to understand that. I think that Ron Paul, for example, is the one guy who you guys all knew of. The reason why he kind of blew up in, in 2008 was because he was addressing the crises that the country was facing at the time. And at the time, it was the fact that the two major ones were that the wars were clearly a disaster, uh, the war in Iraq was a complete disaster, and the financial crisis. And he was the guy who was explaining to them what happened and what caused all of this and what the solution was. And I think right now, if libertarians want to be successful, our we, we have another opportunity here where the major crisis in the country right now is the COVID regime and how the response to COVID was insane and failed on every level, uh, the, the money being destroyed and what exactly caused that and what the solution to that is, and also just kind of the general um, rise of insane wokeism, which is really at its very core a government program and is only completely supported by government institutions and could never possibly exist without them. So well, I get it to Shamika, but you just made, made me think of something that is kind of sad because I'm coming here, wanted Dave on because we can learn some things. They got some good things oh. out there. Maybe you can give us the reason why we should shift there. But when you talked about what made Ron Paul blow up, it's the same issues we're, we're dealing with now. So I'm like, we're stupid. So yeah. <laughs> do we even deserve you? I mean, it's like, you know, so Ron Paul came to popularity because you're talking about economy and wars and what's going on in Ukraine right now? In fact, the yeah. people who were supposed to, so the whole knock, the one thing you had over the GOP is the GOP were a bunch of neocons who love to go to war. And the, and the Democrats were smart enough to understand that war is bad. Well, people ignore that, you know, you go back to, to Bush, 
whatever you want to, they, they like to say Bush's war, which I understand why, but all the Democrat senators signed on to giving them the power. What yep. was it? Two people that signed no? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's well in the House. There might have been a few, there were a few good, the but the Senate, the Senate all fell in line. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And then, you know, but now the left is celebrating Ukraine like you're a racist and you're evil if you don't <laughs> have a flag. So maybe we're Shamika. Are we just too dumb to deserve, uh, Dave? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, you know, I've, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the party. I'm glad you mentioned Marge Ture because I do actually watch him and look look at some of the things that he talks about. And I guess every party has infighting, but lately it seems like I've been seeing this person is a libertarian, this person is not, but it seems like it's always coming from an, a blue check account that has libertarian something and I'm like well I don't know which one to follow like which one is the one that I would actually learn from because they have blue checks and they seem like you know they should know about the party but then they're like yeah no not not those libertarians so then I'm confused Yeah, I mean, I think all of that stuff is kind of silly. But as you know from Twitter, right, you can't just follow the blue checks. You kind of got, I think follower count is much more important than a blue check mark. You know, like who's really speaking for this group of people who's really, and, and even probably more important than that is just like who's, I don't know, who who's their actually enthusiasm behind, who actually right. gets out there and like kind of represents people. So yeah, there's always these, this kind of like no true Scotsman argument of like, well, that's not really libertarianism or that's not really libertarian. I think all that's kind of stupid. Um, I think that the real point is that like, you know, to, to the point you were just making, Charles, like that, look, the, here are the clear answers, right? Which is that why, why was the war in Iraq a disaster? And why is it a disaster for us to be sending all these weapons into a, a border dispute on Russia's border? It's all the same thing. It's because this is not the role of the United States of America to be the benevolent policeman of the world. And to go around and solve their, the idea that we could solve every crisis that's going on throughout the whole world. Do you know what's happening in the world? There's lots of disastrous. Yeah. Can I curse on this or should I not? Of course curse? you can. Sorry. Okay. Oh, There's lots of disastrous shit going on. Yes. Okay. So that's happening all over the world. We're not going to be able to solve that. We have enough trouble just keeping our country free, let alone spreading freedom to the rest of the world. It's a, it's a ridiculous goal. And nobody is ever, no sane country in the same way that we wouldn't, if, if, Russians came in here and at the point of a gun said, we're going to make you a free country. We'd be like, what what are you talking about? And we'd fight to the death to drive them out of here. And we're going to be met the same way in all these other countries. And, And the reason why you have inflation is because we print money by the trillions and destroy our currency. And so forget who you think is a real libertarian or not a real libertarian. Let's just understand the real issues and what's actually destroying the country. And, you know, I will say a little bit of pushback I'll give you, uh, Charles, is just that I don't think it's that people are stupid. You know, I think it's that people are propagandized. And we all, all of us, we specialize. That's the nature of humanity. We know a little bit about the few things that we know about. And we don't know anything about the rest of it. And we take other people's word for it. That's just the way human beings operate. Like, I don't know anything about building computers, but I'm speaking into one right now. You know what I mean? And you guys are hearing me because I just outsource that to to experts who know what they're doing. And most people are too busy, you know, going to their job and raising their family and living their lives to really be experts on politics. And so they assume 
you know, if some guy in a suit and tie on CNN is telling me Trump was a Russian spy, then I guess he's a Russian spy. I mean, he wouldn't tell me that unless he was. And, and so we have this natural kind of like inclination to trust experts. And the problem is that the experts lie when in the political realm, at least the experts lie to the American people and they've got them all uh, mixed up. Wow. Uh, yeah, Will, anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think first there are two things uh, kind of off top that Dave said that are pretty important just to remember. I mean, one is that getting smart heterodox people to agree is really, really difficult. I mean, that's that's the huge problem that you see on kind of the black right, quote unquote. I mean, that that's what you see, as we all know, that's what you see with the quote unquote IDW, where you're going to get the left and the right together to talk about these tough issues. They started accusing each other of like respectively racism and grooming and what? two years, that's all over. They don't talk to each other. So, I mean, that that's something to remember. Like, it's harder to keep, I don't want to use a corny metaphor like wolves, cats together than sheep. Um, two, also, in terms of that comment that we tend to listen to experts, I think we should do that a lot less, honestly. Like, there, so I won't go on my long rant about this, but there are two different types of experts. There are type one experts that have some unique skill, like fucking surgeons, and then there are type two experts who are just smart upper middle class people that got a degree in something. Like my buddy who's a sociologist with a master's that runs a bookstore. Like they're not going to come with anything unbelievable that if you've taken a class in logic or regression or whatever, you can't understand. I don't know how to build a computer, but I could pretty easily teach a class in say economics. And those are the experts, much less journalism. And those are the experts that we're listening to on CNN and Fox. It's, it's often just normal, smart guys BSing, reading stuff they wrote 20 minutes before the show. We've all been on these shows goofing around beforehand, talking about going out for a drink later. And I mean, that's true for Dave as well. But in terms of an actual question, like con contributing something to the panel, like my, my question would be actually, this is one that I have every time I, I talk to a libertarian, not really who's a real libertarian or whatnot. But Dave, what do you mean by libertarianism? I mean, the like the original idea came, as I understand, almost out of the anarchist kind of party scene in the 60s and 70s, like humans would live in peace if there was no government. And I don't think too many people actually want that. Like there'd be no centralized, at least at the state level institutions. So what, what is a libertarian? Like what would you get rid of in the government? What would well, you do? What what a to me okay and what the modern American like meaning of the word libertarian is and it, this basically all goes back to Murray Rothbard who really kind of like started the American libertarian movement because it did mean different things in Europe and in you know in, in other areas but it's basically a belief in uh, private property rights in self ownership and the non aggression principle meaning that it's it's wrong to initiate violence against peaceful people so what level of government would I eliminate? I probably as much as we could. It, it, it's much you want the ultimate goal is the most voluntary society you could possibly have. And that has nothing to do with living in the woods or not having anything even centralized, as you put it. It's just the fact that whatever government service you're talking about should be the most accountable to the people that it possibly can be. And so they, there should be, you would want, like if a, if a police force is essentially a monopoly on security for an area, like they're the, your security force, then if people don't like this job performance of that security force, 
they should be able to take their money rather than being forced by the government to we'll throw you in jail if you don't pay your taxes and you're stuck with this security force, whether you like them or not. They should be able to take that money and give it to another security force if they think they're doing a better job. I mean, we all basically accept the idea in life that competition is better than monopoly. And yet the government just decides we're going to monopolize these whatever, you know, for the sake of argument, 15 things. And if you look around at the things that the government monopolizes, how are they doing? How are they doing? I mean, look at what, what is the performance of public schools? What is, how, how is the performance of the police department going? You know, when you see uh, literally uh, uh, every city in this country was, you know, ransacked through 2020. And what did the police do? Well, they decided not to do anything. I mean, the, right. the, what do the public schools actually teach children? What are they like? And, and anything, name any other government service. And you tell me the one that's just doing an outstanding job. You know, even what we were talking about before with the wars, well, that's the Department of Defense, as they call it. That's the Department of, you know, State Department, maybe a little bit. But let's, this is all government monopoly. What are, what are we talking about? The, the dollar? Well, that's a government monopoly known as the central bank, the Federal Reserve. So, yeah, what would I eliminate of it as much as we possibly could? And that is not, I don't think that should be conflated with living alone in the woods. Just because I don't want a monopoly doesn't mean I don't want to interact with other human beings in the same way that you, I don't think any of us would want, you know, like we use the example of computers before. I don't think we would want one provider of computers that instead of us deciding if we want to go purchase it, how about the government just taxes us and one government agency produces all the computers and you have to get one whether you like it or not. And if you don't like the computer tough, that's your computer. How do you think that would work out? Well, that's what we're getting with schools and police and roads and every other government service. So well, I have a question, but go ahead, Will. It looks like sure. yeah, the, the response there, I think, and not and again, not at all to jump in on Charles there, but like the response would be, I want to I want to hear Dave's comment on this. The general sort of standard conservative reply would be, well, for most of those things, you can purchase competition. I mean, you can pay for private security in your neighborhood, for example. You know, Catholic school in Chicago costs two, three thousand dollars, at least it did when I last looked. But the idea of the government is that you provide some minimum baseline. And like a, a short story kind of illustrates this. Like I was talking to a British dude once, he's a buddy of mine, and I made fun of him for the old line, British people have bad teeth. And he said something that's actually pretty interesting. He said, yeah, on average, we have like slightly below average teeth. But in America, you live in Kentucky, right? In America, people either have great teeth, they have veneers and shit, or they don't have teeth at all. And that's because your medical, uh, whatever, packages, insurance programs don't really cover dental. So in Britain, we accept the idea that everyone's going to have an okay, mediocre smile, but also that you can improve that if you want to, and that it's good that everyone has teeth. So what, what's the reply to that? The government needs to sure. provide some baseline, like nobody goes to school if there isn't a public school system. Okay, so the, to, to your first point, the idea that like people can opt out. So like, okay, you can opt out of the public school system and send your kid to private school, Catholic private school or, or whatever, or you can opt, you can hire private security. It's like, sure, after you pay for the public school and the private, you know, secure or the public twice. security rather. So, right. Yes. I mean, you don't have a choice whether you're going to pay for the, so, you know, it's funny because you're talking about kind of like the little guy being covered, but actually your opt-out plan only covers the person who can afford to pay the property taxes and then pay the private school on top of that, but, right? But the little so that doesn't have the option of the public dental or program or the public. Well, hold on, but in the, 
But in the example you just used, the little guys being forced to pay for this public option with no other choice. And let's just say hypothetically, whatever the number is, say $8,000 a year is your property taxes. Okay. And that's majority going toward these public schools. And then yes, if you can afford the $2,000 beyond that, then sure, you can send your kid to, to Catholic school, but that kind of sucks for the person who can afford that. So actually, who's being screwed over there is the person who can afford the money on top of that. And same with private security. I mean, yes, if you're wealthy, you can afford to say, you know what, I'm going to pay all these taxes, but I'm still going to uh, you know, opt out and basically pay for a, a, a superior system. Now, as far as this argument that the, your, your British friend made that, well, the government system is there to be like kind of like a net, like we make sure nobody falls beneath this level. Okay, uh, I would just say, number one, let's look at what operates better, the public sector or the private sector as being this net. And you could start by saying, how good is the public sector at being a net? Like, do, do you really think like if you look at I mean, go look. I don't have these like numbers in front of me right now, but go look at the poorest areas in America. It, it, look at public schools. Look, look at the literacy rate of their graduating classes. It's a tragedy. I mean, like the, the idea that there's even some net there, they give nothing to these kids. Nothing. Look at the, the basic services that they get. I mean, sure, they're, I, I guess they're not like. There's not no school, but the school they have is maybe as bad, if not worse than no school. Now, let's look at some areas in, say, that are completely left to the free market, where government is not even like intervening or barely intervening. Uh, let's say electronics. You know, there's no government program to guarantee a TV to everybody. But you know what? They pretty much all got TVs. And why is that? Because when you have competition and you have a free market, the prices continue to fall, the quality continues to go up, and the TVs we have today are like what would be out of a, you know, a fantasy from 20 years ago or something like that. So my argument is that, number one, those people who are forced to pay into this system, all I'm arguing is that they should have the option of what they do with their money. And number two, what actually ends up providing the bottom rung of society far better services and quality of goods is going to be competition rather than monopoly. That's all, that's all the, the argument is about, is what's going to be better at providing services, a monopoly or competition, and a forced monopoly at that. Yeah, and just well argued. I mean, I, I, I think can't, the point I can't though is you. like- Did you cut out for everyone else or just me? What's that? Oh, I can hear him. Can you? You can't hear him. Oh, sorry. Maybe my. No, I can hear you. Oh, it's, 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 it's him. Because we all okay, can hear well, you. In that case, a one sentence good goodbye from my side of the argument. I think what you see in practice with a lot of this stuff, even letting leaving aside the argument about NASA so on helping develop the tech we use in televisions we use in weapons, is just that when we actually try some of this in practice with things that aren't absolutely essential, we find a bunch of people don't get those services. So the question for the government, and I hate the government, but the question for the government is what do we need to do as a baseline? Would we have a better military if every city had to put together a scratch militia unit to fight for the country? I don't really think so. Shoot, one second, guys, I can't, I can't hear anything. So that's, I guess, kind of my question, too, because I'm trying to learn more about um, being a libertarian. So, like, of course, the speed limit would be a good thing, right? I wouldn't want somebody just out driving. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting rid of that, actually. I was like, no, not really. 
I mean, who drives it, first of all? I know, but I think it's, it's good. We don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> Well, I, I do think that this is this is kind of the point, like in terms of what the government actually does. Oh, you're back. I'm, I'm back. I apologize. I don't know what's going so, on. Yeah. I think that the, the two great critiques are one, like competition does provide a better baseline, but for profit businesses have no real reason to provide services that don't make them a profit one. And that, that's how you get the 20 sure. percent of cats in Kentucky without front teeth or whatever this I don't want to stereotype Kentucky, but it, it's a notable figure. And I guess two would be there are certain things that some kind of social institution needs to do. Like when you talk about the government being the monopolist over the use of force, I mean, a lot of that comes into play just in terms of laws. So if you have no policing authority or you have like small local individual forces, I mean, Shamika's example, which she's probably going to jump to right now, is actually a good one. Like, do you have speed limits, for example? Like all these mundane little things that the chubby cop by the side of the highway enforces, what do we do? We'd have to design well, all this at very least. Well, look, I mean, okay, so to get to all, the, if, you, if you're going to a world of if there was absolutely zero government, how would sure. all of this work? I would say that like there's several very interesting people you should read who argue about like how a stateless society would work. Um, the the long and the short of it is like to your point about like would there be profit to you know like to to serve very poor people? Well, I mean number one certainly there's a lot of very big businesses who make a lot of money serving poor people right now. I mean yes there is actually a lot of profit in serving poor people if you have a product that a whole lot of them will buy, especially because there's a lot of them. There's big numbers, so the, like there are lots of products that where there is profit to serve them. And the other thing is that like, yes, if you, when you talk about like, well, you need some type of social benefit. Okay. I don't disagree with that. I mean, there are some people who need welfare. There are some people who need help. Like there are people who are like legitimately, you know, some, you, you know, we all know kind of examples of people who are on welfare who shouldn't be on welfare, but we also all know examples of people who are like, I don't know, just in really horrible situations where we'd all want to help them out. There's like, you know, the the mother of four whose husband was killed in a horrible accident and doesn't have a job and needs help. So then the question becomes, who do you want to fill that role? And if you want it to be the government, OK, but that's going to create a society very similar to what we have right now. If it's not the government, who's going to fill that void? Do the rest of human beings stop being these decent people? Because we are decent people when we vote in politicians the blood-soaked monster snakes who run this thing. But all of a sudden, if they're not there, we just won't care. Or no, do communities and churches and organizations like that fill the void? I would argue the latter rather than the former. And in terms of like who would set the speed limit for roads, well, the, the answer to that would be who owns the roads. That's right. the answer. The property owner would be the person in charge of setting that. But honestly, I'm not so much concerned, like there's a bunch of really brilliant uh, like thinkers that I'd recommend you guys go read if you want to be convinced that we could live in an anarchist world with zero government. I think they make some compelling points. To Right now, we live under the biggest government in the history of the world, which is the United States of America's federal government. So my priority is more to just convince you that the government being out of control is what's causing so many of the problems today. I'm not, again, read Murray Rothbard, read Hans Hermann Hoppe, read Lysander Spooner, read like there's a David Friedman. There's a bunch of brilliant anarchists who have great arguments about all this stuff. But for my purposes, talking to like you guys today, it's okay if you don't buy into the idea that we don't need a government at all, but I'd like to get you to buy into the idea that the government is responsible for all of the mess that we're in today. 
Well, without a doubt, I think that that's a great segue. I think the problem is in in practice. So, I mean, there's things that I disagree with, but of course, there's things I disagree agree with the Republicans and a lot of things I disagree with Democrats. So that's not an issue. Um, and and I understand it. So what what I believe the issue is, most people are weird, right? So they'll tell you both. They'll at the same time, and you know this better than anyone, of course, because you're trying to spread this message. So. People will say the government's too big, the government's corrupt, I don't trust it, deep state, on the right, on the left, it's this, all this other stuff. But they both want government, and they don't even want small government. You, you, the, the GOP used to talk about small government, now they want, we want the biggest, we want government bigger than it is now. And the Republicans used to say, we want it a little bit smaller, which wasn't definitely not good enough for you, not even good enough for me. But now they're pretty much like, we want to keep growing it, just grow it slower and in the areas we want to grow it, right? So in both sides, you get growth. So people complain about it, but then they vote for people who will, who will grow it more. So from that vein, we have all these people who claim that they're independents and they're non-affiliated, but, and they say they want smaller government, but I don't think they under, they, they're afraid when people talk about actually having smaller government, like not even getting rid of, we're not talking anarchy, just moving things to local, closer to where you can control it. They're like, that sounds great. And then they say, uh, now it's time to vote. Well, give me the guy who's going to, you know, lock up Hillary Clinton or, or do an investigation here or shut down the internet or, you know, do all these very authoritarian things, but do it on my behalf. And then I'm going to cheer them on. So do they even want the smaller government they claim they want? I think that's the problem. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, perhaps, I mean, look, if you look at the, the wide scope of human history, I mean, it's not mostly liberty. It's mostly authoritarianism, and you get this is true in every single continent and every single you know country, society around the world. There've been mostly authoritarian governments, and yeah, that is that's kind of a, a real problem with humanity. And but I also think that in the current you know political environment, there is first of all you have to understand that like most people, as I'm sure all of you guys know, the vast majority of people, however we'd like to you know, that we'd like it to be, are not independent thinkers, leaders, critical thinkers. The vast majority of people kind of follow along with what people around them are doing. And that's, I think that's kind of the nature of humanity. Yep. And a lot of times they look to these leaders to kind of, okay, you're, they identify with one guy and then they go, okay, that's my guy. And when they, these politicians get into Washington, D.C., what they're dealing with is the biggest honeypot in the history of the world. You know, I remember even Donald Trump saying in uh, one interview um, where he was talking about the military industrial complex. And he's like, he's like, look, I wanted out of all of these wars. I wanted to get out of there. But the military industrial complex just doesn't want me out of there. All these people want to stay. They're making so much money there. And he's basically just saying, which is the, the beauty of Trump, is he just has no filter. So he just say the thing that everyone's watching it. You're like, but you're the commander in chief, dude. What the fuck? Like, aren't you supposed to be able to? But he's just like, I don't know what to tell you. But look, the truth is that there are like these weapons manufacturers who are raking in billions of dollars to keep this thing going. That's a, uh, you know, even this bill, the, the latest one, it was another billion or whatever going to Ukraine. It's the, the money isn't going to Ukraine. It's going to like Boeing and, okay. and Lockheed Martin and all these weapons companies. And then they're going to sell the weapons to Ukraine or give the weapons to Ukraine. So it's it's like, and and this is true through throughout all of government. So there's this huge entrenched like bureau, uh, bureaucratic money interests that, that get in the way of all of that. But also I do think that 
yeah, there is to some degree a human tendency to say, yeah, well, look, you have this power. I'm not saying, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings. Like, no, your, your instinct isn't to say, let's destroy the ring. Your instinct is to say, let's use this ring against my enemies. But I also think that at least for people on the right, I, I hope a lot of them are waking up to this. And, and Donald Trump is really a, a great piece of evidence for this, where he comes in and says, I'm going to drain the swamp. And look, he, he appointed this guy, Ray, to, to head the FBI, this guy who just led this raid on his home. And I think after a while, you realize that there's really no way to drain the swamp other than to reduce the power. Like, th that's the only real option. You, you can't create a situation where power doesn't corrupt human beings. You're almost like you're fighting against human nature. It, 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 the only thing you can do is reduce the amount of power that human beings have. That's the, and then no one can take over this organization and there's really no need to because the organization just doesn't have that much power. And so that to me is what it all comes down to. And then the last thing on the, specifically on the libertarianism piece is that with all that's being said about what people say they want versus what they want, what, what they know, not having time, Oh, the libertarians, you gave us some, some wonderful people we should read, right? You know, Will may read it, I may read it, Shamika will read it as long as you give her an actual hardcover copy. But um, <laughs> no ebooks for her. But um, are, are the libertarians on average too wonky? Is that part of the problem? I, I think that has been a problem for sure. I, I think that um, I'm encouraged by the fact that I think that the younger generation of libertarians are much better on that stuff. And they're much more like uh, um, less socially, uh, less socially awkward and kind of like more, you know, that was definitely a thing for a long time that libertarians were these kind of like weirdo wonkies. I don't, I, you know, I just did this event at a uh, young Americans for Liberty and there was like a thousand, like, you know, college age libertarians. And mm -hmm. a lot of them were really, I was kind of impressed with how like kind of charismatic and cool they were and uh the the mises caucus group that just took over the libertarian party it's made up of a lot of like young libertarians who i think are much better in that department so i i think that has been a, a real real problem um but you know at a certain point that's kind of you know wonky people like nerds for lack of better term are some there a lot of them are very valuable they're very smart and they've read a lot of books and they know a lot of things but if you ever want to like uh, mix your ideas with the real world, you're going to need some people who can actually persuade other people, right, and not put them to sleep. So that's, that's important. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, in order for them to hear the message. And then the other interesting piece, though, is how you, I, I saw a clip of you saying it, which I really thought was interesting. I want you to talk more about that. Because obviously, we have a cultural issue. And um, you say that this cultural issue is really bad, which, you know, is my number one thing. And you say, really, the libertarians are the only one that has an, a possible solution, you know, because the left has their approach, which obviously is causing it. And the right has their approach. It's like, well, what if we just do the same thing as the economy and everything else? What if we just do stuff really slowly? We let we OK, let's negotiate. Let's let the drag queens teach the kids. But <laughs> we teach them, as you say, in fourth grade instead of <laughs> well, isn't it funny? That was the big stand that DeSantis made that got all of this heat. Right, it's like, it was like third, you can't third, teach him that fourth grade that was this cutoff once they're in fourth grade you know all bets are off but until right. then and that was supposed to be some like huge stand which is really you know something um yeah to say we have cultural problems is quite an understatement i mean it's 
I, I got to say, I mean, look, I'm I'm blown away by how insane it has all gotten. It's and and I think everyone should be like this is so beyond bizarre. Yes, it's so fast. So and and things that I think a lot of just normal people would have assumed was like a cultural consensus just three four years ago or something like that. Like we all would have assumed like you wouldn't have like uh like tranny stripper giving a lap dance to like a four-year-old like we all would literally have been, putting money we would we all would have been street. together like that that's not okay right and then all of a sudden th- this is an argument now this really is. like wow this is we're really we've really come a long way uh since then but so i i the, the point that I, i'm kind of making with that is that you know the the left and these terms are a little bit broad because it's really not just the entire left. I mean, there's this, this is a very small percentage of even what you would consider the left wing in America who are actually interested in pushing this stuff. But certainly the broader left is bullied into silence by this small group because they really don't they don't feel comfortable. But the truth is that, like, a, I, I believe at least a huge portion of them even don't like really believe in this. They like, have to. I mean, yeah. our, our society's lost if you're wrong. Like, right. Like most most people don't believe that man and woman are arbitrary titles that we just happen to assign to people that has like no truth related to it. I, I just really don't believe that. Um, but there certainly have th- this ideology has certainly taken over. But so, number one, my point is like, well, how is it taken over? I mean, this this kind of crazy critical race theory stuff has existed for decades. It's been buried basically in universities. That's the only, there is no market value for it. Where, where is it? It's buried in universities. And what are universities other than, it's a big government program, basically. I mean, the only reason why universities exist to the extent that they do is because the government has guaranteed student loans forever. I, half the schools are state schools. They're literally paid for by the government. And the rest of them, even the private ones, the loans would never, none of these 18-year-olds could go get loans for $100,000. Go 18 year old out there, go try to get a loan for anything else other than college. Go try to say, I have a great idea to start a business. I want $100,000. See how many banks are going to give you with no job experience and no income and no assets are going to give you $100,000. The reason why they get them is because they were guaranteed by the government. And now they're just given by the government, not even guaranteed. The government just gives you the money. So that whole industry was propped up by the government. And now where, now that it's exploded, where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from like giant corporations who are all in bed with the government. It's coming from the entire political class. It's being pushed by uh, the CIA and the FBI and the Federal Reserve and all. It's like the whole thing is just a big government program. It could never sustain itself on its own. So if you if you actually want to get to the root of this cultural problem, you need to get rid of all of the institutions that are propping it up. And on top of that, um, look, the. You have a government right now that spends, I think, I'd have to check the numbers, between six and seven trillion dollars a year. It's the, the biggest organization in the history of the world is the United States of America's federal government. And the, the culture war is really all about Americans fighting over who gets to control this giant apparatus. And to some degree, it makes sense because, like, look, half the country hates Donald Trump's guts and the other half hate Joe Biden's guts and neither of them want to see the other one rule over them. And so they go to war. There's like this cultural war over it. And it's because one of you is going to be ruled by the other one. 
And so like, what's the answer to that? The answer to that is like either, okay, one side dominates the other side. The problem is that there's 330 million people in this country. And in order to ever actually vanquish the other side, you're going to need a civil war where millions of people will die. The only other solution is to go reduce the power that this government has, and then we don't have to fight about that. Look, I, I say it like this, right? There are differences, profound differences in the way people view the world, like really profound uh, ideological differences that people have that we don't go to war over. As every, every day, you, you, know, you, you might be a Christian and you go you know, talk to an atheist. And you go, you have a friend who's an atheist, a friend who's a, now really, if, if you examine that relationship, right, between a Christian and an atheist, let's say you're at a bar together or something like that. Now, the, the Christian believes that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. The most important thing in his life is his relationship with Jesus. And that you, Mr. Atheist, are, are going to go to hell for eternity because you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the atheist believes that you're delusional, <laughs> like that none of this is real. I mean, there's, there's like profoundly different views of the world. And yet those two people could go have a beer and be friends, or at least be friendly in, an, in exchange. And they're not going to war with each other. And why is that? Because they have differences, but they're not political differences. They're not fighting over who's going to rule over the other one. So like my, my point basically is that we could have a lot of cultural differences. There's no problem with that. It's just that when you're fighting over who's going to educate your kids or who's going to rule over your government, all of a sudden, this isn't just like some abstract, like, well, I believe this and you believe that and we can go our separate ways. Now it's like, someone's got to die. <laughs> it's like wow. some, I mean, like, you know, like, as you said before, the example, like I am one of those people, I guess I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can afford to pay property taxes and still not send my kids to public school. So I, but if I couldn't, and one of these people are going to educate my kids, I, I'd be ready to kill someone over that, you know? And like, I can understand why people are ready to kill someone over that. So like, that's, to me, that's the essence of the problem, that we need to almost like decentralize all of this authority and let people go their own way. This is like the great lesson, I think, of Christianity, right? Is that like God gave man free will. And th th this is like the atheist, uh, the very simplistic atheist argument that I probably would have made when I was like 18 years old is like, oh, well, if God exists, why do bad things happen in the world? You know, like, why, why was there, you know, slavery or the Holocaust or all these things if God exists? But then, like, the more advanced you get, you go like, well, I mean, if no bad could exist, then no good could exist. It's not good if you're just programmed to do good. It's only good if you had a choice and you chose to do good. So for, in order for good to exist, there has to be bad that exists. And in the same sense, I think we culturally have to accept that, like, some people are going to be bad. And some people are going to be good and we can't be in the business of enforcing everybody to do what we want them to do. We have to let hope that good can set an example that overpowers the bad. But, but, but Shamika, so, so here's a, here's a point though. I mean, you tell me what you think about this and uh, obviously we'll listen to Dave's reply. So I get that. And we know everybody on this panel hates the woke stuff. So that's a given, but I get that from a political standpoint, right? But what are your th thoughts as you're listening to uh, Dave and libertarianism, is, uh, particularly the, the, the NAP, you know, the non-aggression principle, right? So you make government small and you don't let people lord over, right? But 
you got this this wokeness stuff that's so embedded in the culture now, right? So we all so in their you know purest form, they believe that a, a private company should be able to do you know certain things outside of limits. They're not being overly aggressive or violent to people, but do your thing because there's no aggression, right? So now these companies are pushing it. They're putting the logos everywhere. They're giving donating money to stuff. You know they're making movies about it. It's everywhere. The media companies are promoting it and saying if you're against this with your kids, what do they call the, the parents, the domestic terrorists and things of that nature. So can you? You know, even I mean, it, it would definitely be great if, if Dave, uh, people like Dave win and they can make it smaller from a government standpoint. But you still have to contend with the culture thing. Right. So you still have issues where it's in your face, it's in your neighborhood. People are still, you know, trying to impose their will in non-political ways. So what do you think about, you know, if nothing else, where the wokeness would go if the government were, were out of it? Wouldn't we still have the same problem? And would we, would libertarians have a difficult time, you know, kind of squashing that or getting everybody to coexist peacefully um, when, you know, those small numbers that are this aggressive are very aggressive and they don't, they're not happy with. So, so most people like, like he uses in his Christian example, I want to be a Christian. I don't agree with your, you being an atheist, you're going to hell, but I'm not going to chase you around and wave a banner over your head saying you're going to go to hell. I just going to pray for you and I'm going to go live my life. Well, these people are like, I want to be gay. You're like, all right, fine. Well, I want to live openly as gay. Okay, fine. Well, I want you to accept it. I don't want to. <laughs> well, I want you to come to my parade. I don't want to come to your parade. Well, then I want you fired from your job, <laughs> right? So even without the political piece, don't we still have an issue uh, culturally that has grown so big that it may be hard to, to beat, you know, from a, a smaller government standpoint? I mean, I think, yes, we would still have the cultural issue, but I don't know what the solution would be, even if the government was uh, small. I mean, what would the government do anyway? Like, they're big, and what are they doing to stop Right that now, they're thing? promoting it. But let's say, yeah. let's say that's, the small that's and they it were right out there. Of it. That's your answer right there, is that they're promoting it right now. So at right. least you cut out them promoting it. Look, I'm not here. I'm not claiming, especially after where we've gone, that, hey, if the government shrunk, we have no more battle. <laughs> that's it. Like, everything's fine. No, no, I know that's, that. But like, how do we fight it? So if well, we don't look, have the government promoting it, but you're right. So it's in your public schools or whatever. So you say, you know, you're able to take your, your, your money and go to what, the other schools. The, the public schools are well, the government, right? Right, so, right. Like, said, this is an but, argument for libertarianism. I mean, like all the institutions yes. we've, I think in the quick libertarian response, although Dave, I'm sure will do a longer, better version, would just be without a central government, there wouldn't really be this one entity that corrupt actors in society could take over. So you can't yes. put this doctrine out through the public schools if I'll, there aren't public schools. I'll go further and I say- I mean, like a job. Like, let's say you, you because I said, hey, I don't like all this gay shit. And you said, you know, well, I want you to be fired. And you go to this private company or, or my employer or whatever. And my employer is like, Shamika, you have to accept this gay shit. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. How do how would we solve that? I don't we think fire you. I mean, there would, you go yeah. work at a private company. Then... Well, <laughs> I'm not but look, I'm not I'm not pretending that that's not like an important question. Right. But to, to kind of what you alluded to earlier, we're already dealing with that problem. Right. And how do you solve that? And even having this huge government, all they're doing is promoting it. Right? right. So I think the first thing in understanding how to solve any problem is always understanding how did we get here? What caused this problem? And that gives you at least a little bit of insight into like how to solve it. So what, how we got here 
is the absolute destruction of the family in the mm. United States of America. That's how we got here. This all of this shit is is unsustainable. It's completely unsustainable without a giant coercive government that's propping it all up. And why is it, you know, look, the the from the very beginning of the growth of government in America, even things like social security, like back in the 1930s, okay, when that was introduced. Well, what was the old social security before the government was involved with it? Well, your kids would take care of you when you got older and you took care of your kids when they were younger. And then they took care of you when you got older. And then the government butts right in there and goes, no, 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 we'll take care of you when you get older. Just kind of dividing the, the, you know, creating a wedge between families. And then of course, I mean, the rise of the welfare state and what that's done to the family unit in America has just been an absolute disaster. We literally for decades have subsidized having children out of wedlock. We will pay you if you have children out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. I I know people who have gone down to like, uh, you know, and these were like good people. They were just like on hard times who went down to try to get welfare. And they said, well, you got a man in the house. So like, if, if you kick him out, Mm -hmm. you could short, we could give you a check, you know, like they will literally pay you to break up your family. Uh, The people I know were better than that and didn't break up their family, but you can understand where like, let, you know, people in tougher situations, yes, incentives are real and they create results. And if you subsidize something, you get more of it. And so, you know, so much of this has been this, all this woke shit insanity came after decades and decades of breaking up the family. And I got to tell you, I don't think there's any way, look, you don't, Look, under free market conditions, and, and the other thing is that when the government comes in and they become the welfare state, they drive out what used to be where people would go when they were on hard times, again, which was right. churches, primarily right. churches. This is also where people would go if they didn't have health insurance. They'd right. rely on their church. And you better believe that church was going to have some standards. They weren't right. just taking care of you for no reason. They were going to kind of like evaluate you as an individual and go, okay, well, ha- what's your situation here? And and the more local you make those things, the much better they are at judging whether you are someone who was like, okay, you've genuinely fallen on hard times and need a hand, or you're someone who's like an able-bodied man who's just refusing to work and doing drugs, in which case it's going to be like, now you're going to have to get your shit together, you know? And so the, the point is that this whole woke thing This could never sustain itself without this centralized coercive force. So I'm not saying, just to be clear on this, I'm saying step one is to eliminate like this government intervention. After that, we got a lot of work to do because we got to deal with the fact that the culture has been completely destroyed. But that's true with or without a government. So this is there's a long road ahead for all of us to try to actually fix this stuff. Right. And and, and for me, I'm saying it's not like I disagree with you at all. It's just, and it's not the total fix. Of course, you weren't implying that it was. But what I'm saying is, like when Will was following up, like my school examples, like free market, you can go to a private school. But I'm saying, if we're talking, you know, like I'm about what will solve the problem, even short term, long term, what do you move? So moving the government, making it smaller, definitely the right direction. So the woke is still there. And then you say, well, you take your kid out of that school, you go to private school. Well, I don't know if anybody's got kids, school-aged kids, or they've seen the private school, <laughs> they woke too. So you yep. can't really go Maybe there. even you worse. You say, your own school, take seven years. Homeschool, possible, but that's, that, you know, everybody's not going to do it. So I'm just saying that there's a, and that's just school. Uh, Shamika's job example, you go there, you get fired. So now you got to go work at a company that, that meets your values. So this is going to, the point is it's going to take, running this water and rinsing this muck out for a while. And that is, as long as that step one is fine, I just know some people who have 
uh, libertarian views, and, and I've listened to your stuff, and I know you're not this far. So they're saying, you know, fix the government piece. They agree with you on that. Then I say, well, what about the other stuff? They say, oh, the other stuff is fine. Let people do whatever they want to. So I got into it with somebody about the drag queen thing. And they're like, well, what's the big deal? If there's been drag queens, as long as the kids, uh, the parents are okay with it. Well, they're missing two key pieces in what we saw there. One, it wasn't all parents, right? In some of the cases, like in yeah. New York, they put money aside, it was public school sanctioned, right? So they were doing it in school. And the other piece is, you can say, well, drag queens, there's nothing wrong with this gay people. But like I kept saying, it used to be gay guys dress up like divas, Liza Minnelli and whomever, right? These people were scantily clad and they were putting, they had the kids putting money in the G-string. Yeah. And libertarians were like, and they, and they were like in your face about it too. They were just like, well, all you fake uh, um, free market people who say that we all should be free and people should do what they want, shouldn't care. Yes, yes, I think it's important that you do X with some kid, but it's not my kid, let them do whatever they want to. I say, are you kidding me? So libertarian means have, have a society with no morals at all. So if a guy wants to just sell his kid off, that's cool too, right? I no, mean, I mean, mean I, well, I, okay. Did so you say, well, it's his kid. That is insane. And like, yes, you should have freedom but you shouldn't have free like there, you shouldn't have freedom to murder people you shouldn't have freedom to rape now people. they'll stop in the murder you shouldn't say, have yeah, freedom you, you know, they'll go back no, this, right this actually is a key you shouldn't have freedom to do stuff with kids Charles just is for asking the record. Is, sorry go ahead should you have freedom for example to run a prostitution ring with people one minute past the age of consent or should you have the freedom to take your daughter, who's five, to drag queen story hour. Right. Um, I actually, Something that's not violent, right. That's a yeah, good point. Because, yeah, sure. there's no aggression there. Like, I actually can see both sides of this, by the way. Like, the argument is that that strong, powerful government that let us beat the Nazi Germans can also be captured and can then be far more effective at promoting horseshit like this than any private citizen. So the, the libertarian argument here, right, is, well, without this government, this big corrupt government, there's nothing central to take over. I think the response, though, also merits some consideration. Like, if you're a fan of comic books or the old cartoon series, if you watch something like Tank Girl, the post-apocalyptic shit, any, Stephen King, when he was writing well, the idea is that the government is gone. There's been this social collapse, but you have these large corporations with names like All Your Water or Water and Power that in fact run the same segments of society, the government agencies, what have. So what if water and power goes woke? Do you not drink? I think both points are valid, but that second question is a real one. Yeah, okay. So let me say, um, <laughs> so so to uh, first off, to right. So like, yes, if you have a government powerful to beat the Nazis, it could also be corrupted. It could also bring a whole bunch of those Nazis into your NASA program or whatever, if you guys want to go uh, look into that. Yeah, sure. Um, theoretically. Like, yes, in oh, yeah, theory, yeah. it could. Um, or you could have that big, like, it, like, there's another angle to what you're saying here, which is almost like, oh, well, like, but without that big giant government, then like, who's going to prevent five-year-olds from going to tranny shows? But it's like, I'm just saying that it's like, this only happened with that big giant government forcing it down our throats. So I personally believe um, sticking on the, the example of, uh, I should keep saying trannies, <laughs> drag tra queens, <laughs> drag queens. I'm sorry. We're not supposed to use that word anymore. Drag queens. I apologize. I sincerely apologize to the transgender community. Oh, um, he's drag running. Queens I saw the thumb. He's running. With, uh, yes. There you go. That's, that's the indication. Um, so I think in the same way, if you saw like during, if you remember during the riots of 2020, when there would be all of these examples of private uh, gun owners defending their property, and then they would be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. 
And while all of the rioters were having their bail posted and being let out in a day, yes, the people defending their property would get prosecuted and no one was paying their bail. Right. It takes a tremendous amount of force to force this on. If you just removed that and there were just no gun restrictions and no one was prosecuting the people defending their property, I think those things would have been cleared up in days. Yes, because according to the left, everyone would be dead. Yeah. Okay. Sure. No, it, like three people would be dead and then the rest of them would have stopped. Right. That's what would have happened. Okay. Right. And like, yeah, it's sad for those three people, but those three people were also like destroying fucking property and beating sad. people up. It's and you know what they, yeah. Okay. So who, which way do you want to have it? Terrorizing tens of millions of people or a few people trying to terrorize people and get it. You know what I mean? So like, that's, that's what I'd say about that. And that I think that really it's like you have one of two views on this. You either believe that the natural order would be that all of this woke shit would rise up, or the natural order is that we'd have families and you know what I mean, like like good communities and things like that. And if you believe the natural order is that all of this shit would rise up, then you know what? You're screwed no matter what. Because that's just you're not going to fight that. I don't believe that. I believe that this this has to be imposed on people. It's like this this door spring that's being pushed all the way down. And all you have to do is relieve that tension. and It's going to pop right back up. I mean, it might flop over here. a little. Like, it might go to like some right wing authoritarianism thing for a it's while and then bounce bit. back. But it'll meet somewhere in the middle because this is all of there's a reason why marriage and family and all of these things have persisted throughout thousands and thousands of years. And it's not just like that, it, you know, it's not just because, OK, like God believes this is the correct course of action or something like that, um, which I, I do think is true. But it's not just that. It's also that, look, this is what works. There's a reason why absent Social Security, you were going to have kids and do good by them because you needed them later in life to take care of you. It's like there's this kind of natural order to the way things work. And what we're doing right now is completely stifling the natural order. Now, for your point about this idea that there would be corporate monopolies, you know, the the idea that there'd be water incorporated and you either follow our rules or you don't drink water or all of these things. the, The problem with this argument is twofold. Number one, you're you're reduced back to arguing against monopoly, which is what government by its very nature is. So if you're arguing against monopoly, then the solution to that is not to create a monopoly based on force that you must subscribe to to fight the idea of monopoly. And number two is that there's just it's just so rare. It's just, look, there's a whole history of this. Uh, Milton Friedman, by the way, wrote a ton about this that was really great. But the history, and Murray Rothbard even better than him, but the history of private sector actors trying to create monopolies, they've tried and tried and tried and almost always failed. Not always, but almost always failed. And what they always end up doing is buying off a politician. That's what they end up doing because that's the only way to truly create these monopolies. If you had some giant corporation like that who is doing all of these evil things and they're jacking up the prices and they won't let certain people in, you know what ends up happening? Some other entrepreneur comes in to compete with them and they end up cut, like cutting their whole market share down because they're not going to be as you know egregious with their market share as this corporation will. So I just think, again, no one's saying anything is perfect. There's nothing perfect on this side of heaven. You know what I mean? Like, no, there's no situation that's going to be perfect, but it's far superior to have liberty than to have authoritarianism. Well, oh. Go ahead, Shamika. 
Now, I was going to say, it seems like a lot of libertarian ideas overlap with conservative ideas, or maybe I just see it that way, because like, I don't trust the government. I don't like the government's hand in everything. Um, I don't think the government should have a hand in marriage for for a long time. They didn't. You know, I don't like the fact that uh, I have to get my car inspected in order to drive when if I pay for the car, I should be able to drive it wherever I want to. You know, so it's, there are certainly things that I'm like, I don't like the government having control over this. But then I know I get mad when somebody speed past me on the freeway. So <laughs> well, that, that I'm shocked. I'm shocked that all of you, that all the things that, that thing bothers you. you it know, does. You hear us at the time they, I'm waiting for the that, police to come and just like get them. Well, yeah, she said that when you were when you couldn't hear us, and we both was like, no, no, who's gonna set the speed limit? We were like, we don't need, <laughs> we don't need a speed limit. But I'll mention to, I'll reply to your GOP thing. The problem is they overlap because that's what the GOP used to say they wanted, they believe, and they still parrot it. They just don't believe it. So all he's saying is actually do what the GOP used to say they wanted to do. Yeah. Right? Well, how about that? How about just believing in the Constitution? I mean, if they actually, I'll start with there, forget even going to anarchy, just like if you really believed in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, well, like, okay, but then there's not, you know, you'll see these like Republican groups, even like the NRA, who the, the progressives try to make out as like this extremist group, and they'll be, the, the head of the NRA, I heard say last year, he goes, all we need to do is enforce existing gun laws, and you're like, whoa, existing gun I, laws, I thought the you Second the Amendment, how about that's the gun law, the Second Amendment. People right. have a right to own weapons, and that's that, period. Right. No yeah. infringement on that. Mm -hmm. Like, what, so, so all I'm saying is like, yeah, let's be what the Republicans claim to be. But I, look, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I've had people speed by my, me and my wife and my kids in the car and like been like, you know, just driving so recklessly that you're like, yeah, I hope someone stops them. But yeah. you know what? No one did. And this <laughs> no. was on a government road with government cops all over the place. How do you know? Because you sped up so you could follow them? <laughs> you know, that's a good point. No, we didn't get you to drive I don't know. Someone pulls on sure. the side of the road. Maybe, he's doing 120, you're doing 110. Look well, at maybe, maybe at some point they did stop them. But I'm just saying it's like this problem still exists on government roads with government cops and all of this. And like the, the truth is that it's like there are these kind of um, it's like the government always. And this is just a, the nature of monopoly when they don't need to compete for your services. They screw you going and coming. So it's not like it's one where, look, Black Lives Matter types, they do have some legitimate grievances that they'll bring up. You know, now they take it in some like horrific, ridiculous, you know, directions. Right. But there are grievances that it's like, look, man, like these cops really are not accountable to the communities that they police. Mm -hmm. And they are like way too often aggressive in the areas that make no sense. And then completely passive in the areas that wait, make wait, no wait. sense. Wait, 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 stop, stop. I got no, I've never pushed back. Now I got to get on Dave. Dave and Shamika, it's on tape. Just came on here like, oh, don't speed, don't speed. And now <laughs> you don't wait, wait. And now you don't want a speed trap by a cemetery. So who's going to protect the dead guy if somebody's just going by at 60 miles an hour while I'm well, trying to sleep while I'm dead? Well, you know, look, if you go to like, uh, say, an amusement park or something like that, who's they have private security. There's there there can be private like uh, um, security forces who do all this stuff. They do it much better because they can get fired 
if they don't do it the right. Listen, why are public school teachers so bad? Why are so many cops so bad? Because they got these public sector unions. They can't be fired. They're not accountable to their customers at all. Quick rant on that. I, I just whenever somebody brings up, it's, it's, isn't it shocking? It's just some, some, just like whatever you stand, it's just be consistent. So people hate unions. I mean, the, the police union, they're protecting murderers. Police unions are bad. They literally do the same thing as the teachers union. And those yeah. same people literally cheer for the teachers union. Yeah. So I hate all hate of them. them. Both. I that's love my, them. That's my the point. Right. They were like, yeah, protect the cops. And then they're like, well, teachers unions are evil. I'm like, they're the same thing. Well, Either particularly love them both or hate them both. Well, I, by the way, hate public sector unions. Yeah, well, look, I mean, particularly like like the private sector unions, they get corrupted, too. But there's at least like a justification there. Like there's at least a justification. Like if you have a like a factory or something with a thousand employees and, you know, you have a boss who's the boss of the factory and, and he goes, well, if one guy demands more wages, I'll just fire that one guy. And he's got way more power than the one guy. And so the guys arguing and then they go, no, look, we're all going to get together. We're all going to demand more wages. And then you have this argument between all of the people who are doing this work and the boss with his money. And he's like, well, shit, I can't have everybody quit. So, you know, there's like, okay, like in theory, I get that. But with these public sector unions, you have all of these government employees getting together, arguing with a politician about how they spend taxpayers' Our money. money. Right. So we're not there's, no, there's no incentive at all for him to be like, well, I don't want to give you too much because uh, that's you know cutting into my – it's not cutting into his anything. He's just spending your money. So, of course, these public sector unions just grow and grow and grow to the point that – you know, have you seen these – I think what they used to call rubber rooms where these public school teachers have been like literally caught like diddling kids. They've been caught like doing the worst things. And they just send them, they send them to these rooms to just sit there all day and they get paid because Mm. it's so difficult to fire them that they'd rather, they still don't want them to be around kids. This is probably over. Now they just, is that in school suspension? Huh? I'm like, is that in school suspension? Yeah, it's it's something like that. So they they literally go and they, they, so they're all like, because so the horrific teachers, like, never get fired. Look, I went to um, public school. I went to public school and private school in New York City. So I kind of saw both of them. And look, in the public school I went to, PS 107, by the way, shout out. Uh, they, uh, There were some really great teachers there. Like, so really like almost like heroic people, like really were like just excellent. Like five of them, maybe in the whole building. And then there were some people there who were like borderline abuse not even borderline we're like genuinely abusive people like physically abused kids verbally abused kids like all people who never should have been given an interview to be teaching kids and you know they all got paid the same they all have the same job they all have the same opportunity to move up same union. That's, yep because they had the same union like that's ultimately the problem is that you're not like imagine any job if you had any company and you go, we're going to treat workers who are very, very productive and workers who are very, very terrible, exactly the same. Yeah. How we would that a, work uh, out? Yeah, we had an ex. This is kind of funny a little bit. We had it's a comedian, so better was, bring uh, the funny <laughs> a ex-military uh, teacher. And anytime you would like slam a book on the floor, he would be like, hit the deck. <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. That's not that's and not bad. Kids would do it just because they knew, you know, like this was he was gonna respond like that. And I felt bad for him. I wonder where he is now. 
<laughs> I think we know where he is now, thanks to you all. But I mean, I know we can go along. We can keep going because Dave is so great. But I got a last thing on the woke thing we were talking about. Two things. Does the extreme wokeness make it harder to do comedy, your day job? And secondly, in 2024, will we, the U.S. see something in this political landscape similar to Ukraine in a comedian president? Well, geez, I mean, the first one, um, you know, it makes it, it, it's made it a lot weirder. And this, this started like when, when Trump first came in, at least I noticed it then that like, if you would just go, like when I would just go to regular comedy clubs in New York city and stuff, you'd notice like, Oh, like it's, there's like one, you know, one lady standing up pissed off is, you know, she got offended or something, by the way, always white women. Always white women, 100% of the time. That's who it was. Well, 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 the colors can't afford the tickets. Well, that's well, (laughs) there'd be a few of them in there. The ones who could afford it would be in there. (laughs) After a heavy screening process, we'd allow (laughs) some of them into the club. Um, But no, but it would never be them, which would always be so fun to like kind of point out. Like, you know what I mean? Like there'd be some white woman furious about like a a joke about black people. And you'd be like, but the black people are laughing at it. What are you doing? Well, I'm an ally. Yeah, right, right. An ally to yourself, I guess. But I guess I've kind of like, I'm at least at the point now where I tend to perform for my crowd. Right, right. So when I go out somewhere, usually people are coming to see me. So it's not like my people hate all that woke shit. So they're just ready to laugh and have a good time. So you don't see see like, like, Haters coming in like they do with, with the Ben Shapiro speeches at the university. I've it's seen like, a little bit. Chickens Those just are so I can free. yell at this guy. I mean, I've had I've had a little bit of that, but not like too much. Because I'm so I'm kind of at the like sweet spot where I'm I'm I have enough of an audience that I could fill up my rooms, but I'm not like quite big enough like Ben Shapiro where like they're like the leftists are like coming in to infiltrate. So right. if I that, keep that getting bigger, spot. I Don't might get any bigger. Yeah, I've, I got to like stick right here where I am. I don't know. That might that might be a problem, you know, in the future. But, but do you I hear think, from other people that, that had to? Yes, that, that... I, I think for younger guys coming up now, it's much tougher. Like I was very lucky. I came up in comedy. You know, I've been doing stand up for like 15 years now. So the, when I first started, it was a completely different landscape. It was just like none of it was like this. And stand up comedy was kind of like this almost like last bastion area where everyone was just saying the most offensive shit and and that was it it was just like how funny are you you can say whatever you want to no one cared you know like my heroes when i first started comedy were like david tell and patrice o'neill and like all these guys who were just like so raw that it was just you know insane i was lucky got to open for both of those guys and like kind of like you know so it was just a different world it was a different world back then now some of the younger guys coming up now they really have to navigate through that scene um as far as your second question about will there be a comedian president? Well, it's worked out pretty well for Ukraine. You know, they're doing good. There's, yeah, get, there's so getting all that U.S. So, money. But you want to have to send money. Don't so. you want to be, you know, come on. Don't you want to be doing as good as Ukraine? Magazines, well, maybe not as good as Ukraine, but as good as the president. Now now you have a point. Now you have a point. That, so that we might guy's be doing pretty good. You come out as a king. <laughs> That and there is my campaign right there. Listen, <laughs> you people are screwed no matter what. So at least let me get my vanity spread. <laughs> well, I guess we have to leave it there because we went long, but it's been fun. He is uh, Dave Smith, um, podcaster, political uh, commentator, and comedian. Dave, thank you for joining us. 
Oh, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.